The Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 22. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Lift your eyes to heaven. 
Good morning, my name is Matt. It's a pleasure to be with you. I want to add my greetings to Prash's and to Kim's. It's great that we can get together even online. I wonder if you have ever wondered how somebody comes to faith. How does somebody become a Christian? What are they thinking? Uh, How did they make the decision? How did it happen? And why do they keep it up? You know, why do they keep going to church? Why do they keep telling you about Jesus or inviting you to the Simply Christianity course? Well, this story, that, uh, the story of the Apostle Paul, who was called Saul beforehand, 
His story of coming to faith uh, speaks to that question. On the one hand, it's unique, isn't it? It's this dramatic event. Uh, On the other hand, Christians have looked at this story uh, over thousands of years and said, actually, this is the quintessential coming to faith narrative. It doesn't just tell us of his unique experience. It actually tells us all, everybody who's ever come to faith, we look at it and we go, hey, that's my story too. As a Christian pastor, I have the unique privilege of meeting with many Christians and actually in a globalised world, many Christians from many places all around the world. And just recently, I was actually having coffee with a Korean couple, some new friends, and I found out they were Christians and they were sharing with me their story of how they became Christians. And what struck me was that even though their story was from 7,000 kilometres away, in a different language, a different culture, a different time and place to my own, I was sitting across the table from them going, what? You too? That's my story as well. Now you might be thinking, what's Matt talking about? Aren't you a Christian if you're you know, born in a Christian family or go to a Christian school or if you're from the West or maybe it's set it on your birth certificate? No, these people are telling stories of a change in their life, a dramatic transformation. And Christians all around the world have the same story. And like I mentioned, Saul's story is that quintessential story. So what I want to do today is look at his story. I want to look at this account of him coming to faith and see if we can't see what all Christians everywhere have in common about their story of coming to faith. And I think some of the truths that we find in this account actually can be life-transforming for us as we understand what it means to come to faith. So the first thing we see in this coming to faith account is that Jesus always initiates coming to faith. Jesus always initiates conversion. You might remember the story that was just told to us uh, by our friend Richard. But you might remember Saul's on a road to Damascus and he's on a particular journey with a very particular different mission. And Jesus interrupts his journey. That's what happens. There's many ways we see Jesus initiating Saul's story of conversion, but probably the most profound one is just the fact that Jesus turns up. There's light. There's a noise from heaven. In fact, it's the voice of Jesus. Jesus just turns up and interrupts his journey. Jesus always initiates conversion. Uh, Now, what's interesting about that is what it tells us And it tells us that conversion, coming to faith, is all about God's grace. And see, that's different. That's different from every other religion you'll ever come across. It's also different from every other worldview. Every other religion will tell you it's what you've got to do in order to get close to God. You have to do something in order to draw near to him. It's about what you can do for God. Christianity says, no, no, no. Christianity is first and foremostly and primarily all about Not what you can do for God, but what God has done for you. And it's also different from every other worldview, right? Every other worldview says in order to make it in life, you have to do X, Y, and Z. You know, that's why YouTube, podcasts, every other infotainment channel you can think about is so popular because it's all about what you can do for yourself. Christianity says, no, you can't do anything for yourself. It's about what Jesus has done for you, which can most transform your life. Uh, The first thing, actually, that this tells us as Jesus initiates 
this change in Saul's life is actually that Jesus loves Saul and that Jesus loves us. That's what his initiation means. I remember when I first took an interest in my wife, Naomi, we were at a work conference together and we were allocated to go home together in the car, to carpool home, because we live nearby one another at the time. And uh, I remember I took the steering wheel, I was driving, and I drove 35, 40 minutes in the wrong direction so that by the time we got back to Sydney, uh, it'd be night time and it would be time to go to a restaurant and have a meal together. And it, it just so happened that we pulled up to a restaurant called Agape, which in Greek means love. And the story, you know, goes where you imagine and we fall in love, we get married years later, whatever. The point of that story, though, is that when you are in love with someone, you initiate, you interrupt the journey, you scheme, you plan. That's what Jesus is doing with Saul here. Jesus loves Saul. He loves us. Jesus always initiates the story of coming to faith. And so if you are even slightly warm to the idea of coming to him, it's because he has initiated that in your heart. If you have seen who Jesus is, if you know what he's done for you, and it means a lot to you, it's because of what Jesus has done for you. See, God searches for us. We don't search for him. He truly searches for us because he loves us. The other thing him initiating tells us is that it doesn't matter about your background. It doesn't matter about who you are. It's never too late. It's never too bad for you to come to him, for you to trust in him. Think about Saul's background. Saul hated Christians. Saul loved killing Christians. That's why he's on the road to Damascus. He, ha- he loved it so much he turned it into his day job. His professional occupation was incarcerating Christians. And what happens? Just days after making it his day job, he becomes a disciple. His whole life is turned around. And what that story tells us is it's never too late. It's never too bad for you to come to Christ. Your background, your past, whatever you've done, however you're thinking, however hard you've treated God's followers, however hard you've treated God in your own heart, he loves you, he can forgive you, it's never too bad. Do you know what's really interesting, though? is Saul actually didn't think he was too bad. What we find out later in life is he thought he was good enough. He thought he was good enough. In a letter he wrote to some Christians uh, in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, Paul mentions how good he thought he was. And he says, if anyone ever thought they had confidence in and of themselves to get to God, he said, I had more reasons to feel confident. He talks about his Jewish heritage, his background, and all the things he's done. And he actually says, in regards to the law, in regards to the Old Testament, In regards to the ways that God had said, this is how you should live in order to be right with me, Saul said he was blameless. He was absolutely perfect. But you know what he says? He said that was not good enough. He said when he looked at what Christ had done for him, in light of what Christ has done for him, he had to consider consider even the good stuff he had done rubbish in light of what Christ had done for him. Because there were attempts to be his own saviour. There were attempts to save himself. There were attempts to merit God's love. And love, of course, is a free gift. And so the first thing that we see in this story that's common to every Christian story of coming to faith is that Jesus initiates. 
Jesus loves. Your past is never too bad. Jesus gives us the free gift of himself. That's the first truth we see in this passage. The second thing we see is that Jesus always uses his church. Jesus always uses his people. I wonder whether you notice the the biggest part in this account is actually not of Saul's coming to faith, nor is it what Saul looks like after his conversion. The biggest part of this narrative is actually of this ordinary Christian who's never mentioned before and only once mentioned after in the whole Bible, this very ordinary Christian called Ananias. Ananias, uh, we don't know much about him. We know he's a Christian. We know he's devout. We know actually that uh, he's got a good reputation amongst uh, the people. And that's probably because he's not kicking up much of a fuss. He's probably living quite a quiet life. Uh, But this story is actually centered around him in many ways. Because the point that God wants to make to us, to anybody who's ever become a Christian, anybody who's ever come to faith, is that God wants to use you for his purposes. God wants to use you in helping others come to faith. In fact, God calls every Christian to be a part of his mission. God calls every Christian to be a part of his mission. Now, you might think, no, my purpose as a Christian is just to help Matt, the professional ministers, the professional missionaries. Can I tell you this? 99% of the world's missionaries are in their home city, in their home state, in their home suburb, in their home street. That's where they are. They're you and me. They're neighborhood Christians. 99% of the world's Christian missionaries are at home. That's because you're called to be a Christian if you have become a Christian. You're called to be a Christian missionary wherever you are. You don't exist to help the professionals. The professionals, if I can call us that, exist to help you fulfill the great commission of going and making disciples. You know how I think also the Apostle Paul or Saul in this story, he also knows this. You know, one of the questions that I always have when I read this narrative is, why doesn't God just show himself to everyone like he does to Saul? Have you had that question, you know, why doesn't God turn up with all lights and all the noise just to all of my friends? Why doesn't he do that like he did to Saul? Uh, I think Saul knows that actually that's not God's plan, even in this passage, because Saul doesn't disappear into a corner and pray that God would do that. Rather, he goes out into the streets and he starts preaching. Why is that? It's because Saul knows that God uses people for his plans. Saul reflects on this uh, actually in another letter to some more Christians in the second uh, letter to the Corinthian church. And Saul, the Apostle Paul, says this. He says, God has committed to us, speaking of Christians, God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that amazing? What a privilege that every Christian is how God wants to make his message known in the world. Now, why does God do that? Well, I think, actually, there's probably many reasons we don't know, but perhaps there's one reason, and that is this, the most powerful witness to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in the world, the most powerful witness is actually not lights and noise. The most powerful witness is a person. 
It's the power of a transformed life. It's seeing a neighbour, a friend, a colleague, a co-worker. It's seeing their life transformed. Somebody that you know and love, somebody that you trust, somebody that's human and real. It's seeing their life transformed and going, what's special about that? That's the most powerful witness, isn't it? We know that because that's why we buy stuff. I know there's millions of dollars spent on advertising. But actually, everything really rides on the recommendation of a trusted friend, doesn't it? When somebody says to you, hey, Jesus has changed my life. Uh, Why don't you check him out? And where their life, that neighbour who lives next door to you, is that living testimony to that, that's the most powerful witness. And that's why Jesus uses his people. He uses his church. Uh, So that's the second thing that we see in this passage. And you might say, Matt, I don't feel like the sharpest tool in the shed. But let me tell you something. This passage tells us you are God's chosen instrument. You might not feel very powerful, but you are God's chosen instrument. So that's about how somebody comes to faith. God initiates, God uses his people. Uh, but why would somebody do it? Why do they cross the line, especially when uh, in even the West it can be quite hostile? I don't know whether you noticed Saul's life even immediately after he becomes a Christian at the end of this account. It's not a comfortable life for Saul, is it? Within days he's getting death threats. It's not an easy life. Uh, people have added up you know, all of the miles that Saul travelled on his missionary journeys throughout the known world. And it turns out it's something like 10,000 miles in his lifetime. That is, I did the math this morning, that's Sydney to Perth on foot four times. That's a long way. It's not an easy life and it's not a simple life. Saul's life was busy even immediately. Uh, Like I mentioned, he doesn't disappear. He actually starts preaching and he practices his preaching. He becomes better and better better at it. And he actually has disciples, just sentences after becoming a Christian. It says there that he has his own disciples. He lived a busy life. But more than that, he suffers a lot. And that's what God tells him in this passage is going to happen to him, doesn't it? Saul actually recounts his suffering later in life. uh, And the list is long. Prisons, floggings, beatings, shipwrecks, danger, going without food, going without sleep being cold and naked, experiencing enormous amounts of stress and pressure. It wasn't an easy job he got himself into. So why did he do it? What compelled him to keep going? Well, my first thought when I reflected on this was perhaps he knew it was because he was a part of something great. There's truth to that, of course. Uh, Time magazine, a number of years ago, uh, nominated... Saul as the most influential person in human history. Billions of people have become Christians, have come to faith uh, because of his testimony to faith, because of his authorship of part of the best-selling book the whole world's ever seen. He was going to be a part of something great. I don't think Saul necessarily knew that. So what compelled him? Well, actually, it's quite simple and profound. And that is, he knew who Jesus was. Notice the last sentence in this passage. Saul spent his life proving that Jesus was the Messiah. Saul knew who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for him. Messiah is an archaic term. uh, But basically, 
it means this. Saul knew that Jesus was the one who had suffered in his place, who had experienced the rejection and the anger of God that he alone deserved, that Saul deserved. Jesus experienced that in Saul's place so that Saul could have a relationship with God. That's the truth. That's why Christians cross that line. That's why people cross that line every day all over the world. It's because they've encountered Jesus Christ and they see him as Messiah, somebody who has suffered everything they deserve so that they wouldn't have to suffer it, that rejection, that enmity with God, and rather they'd have friendship and be a part of God's family. So my question for you today is, do you know Jesus? Have you encountered him? Do the Simply Simply Christianity course, stay tuned to what's happening in this church service, maybe knock on your neighbor's door if you know they're a Christian. Is Jesus initiating? Is he warming your heart? Is he calling you, Christian, to do something extraordinary? Maybe today is the day to come to faith. Why don't I pray for us? Let me pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that we see that in that you initiated, you came to us, you came from heaven for us. You interrupt our lives. You warm us towards you through your people, uh, through your word, through the Bible. We ask today that we would turn to trust in you. And Lord, I pray for my Christian brothers and sisters that they would be encouraged that God is making them their ambassadors, that God is making his appeal of reconciliation through them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.